Welcome to The Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Subchakche Banker, and if we had the time, I would give my friend here a 23-minute standing ovation. It's P.T. McNiff. How are you doing, P.T.? Uh, I'm doing well, Jen. Golden palms for all. Uh, welcome. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Or, or palm dogs. Do you, do you know about those? Oh, the palm dogs. Yeah. Love the <laughs> palm dogs. Was a little upset to find that it's not an official award. It's like an, an outside body gives the palm dog. Oh, well, they should they should fix that. So we've, we've already gotten into it. But if you're listening and you're like, what are they talking about? Uh, we are here talking about the Cannes Film Festival, which just wrap, wrapped up this weekend. And it is a very, you know, it's it's the probably the biggest film festival in the world. Is that is that going too far? I can't think of another one that would be that would maybe vie for that title. Yeah, I mean, it's. I feel, I feel like it's certainly the most prestigious. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we are talking about it always with one eye on the Oscars, there may be others in terms of like likelihood to get Oscar nominations. Toronto, Tribeca, Venice, but uh, and Sundance. Um, but I think it's the most prestigious, and I feel like it's the one that has the longest history, going back into the late forties. Oh, you're probably right. I hadn't thought about that. If you're here with us because you care about the Oscars, Cannes is really the, in the film festival run of the year, is really when things start to heat up. It's really when I think people officially say festival season has started, even though Sundance and South by Southwest technically have already happened. They're more kind of like the amuse-bouche leading up to the meal that is (laughs) film festival season. I've been, I don't know about you, but I've been sort of like eating up all the coverage of it, of it, trying to, to keep up with. And what's interesting is that a lot of our past episodes, we've been speculating about what movies we think are going to be big, what movies are going to have Oscars prospects. And this is kind of our first real meaty clue because now eyeballs have seen these movies <laughs> in many cases. P- PT, like, do you usually follow can really closely or like how does it fit into kind of your movie going life i i, I feel like i'm some it, it kind of depends year to year it, there's, it's usually hinging on whether there is a movie or two that i sort of previously know about and um this is partially uh maybe an issue of being so american centric in my the, the the general purview of what i'm i'm thinking about um but it, this is a very international film festival so a lot of times when you look at the list of movies in competition it's like oh, i don't know about most of these and we'll, we'll talk about the winners it'll be like oh, i haven't heard of a lot of them uh before before the festival um but if you know there's a few movies that go there that that directors bring i, I don't I think the directors do kind of make the call. Maybe the studios do. Uh, and, and this happened this year where, uh, you know, there were a few uh, big, highly anticipated movies, movies that may have even been drafted in our uh, our earlier episode where we talked about what we're most excited about. And uh, they, they premiere outside of competition or, you know, a separate um, in, in, the, in the area, uh, in one of the theaters without necessarily being something that the jury is... Uh, is voting on. So yeah, when that happens, I'm paying a little bit more attention. I feel like I always try to read the recaps of who won uh, and, and you know, what, what were sort of the, I don't want to say winners and losers, but what are the movies that people are excited about? I'm sort of, I usually am less interested in hearing people be like, well, we didn't like this, but the, what are the things that people are excited about? And that then gets me excited to hopefully see these movies someday. 
Yeah, same. I think, and that was a really good explanation of the out of competition versus in competition, because I feel like that's the thing that gets really muddied sometimes during coverage is that people are talking about all these movies at the same time. And if you're not kind of keyed into how can works, right, you might be like, oh, why didn't Killers of the Flower Moon win the Palme d'Or? And it's like, well, it was out of competition. So it's, you know, so so that's something to keep keep straight. I usually end up like you. I, I'm much more likely to recognize on paper the out of competition films that are there versus the in competition ones. But I usually always try to add the, the, the ones that get a lot of buzz coming out of the competition to my watch list. So, you know, especially, yeah, like international ones, I'm like, Oh, this might be a clue for international feature or something like that. Or just like, if so, everyone loves a movie, um, you know, that it's, it's something to kind of like put on your radar if it wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way I think we've broken this down is to talk about, who were the actual winners? Cause they did give out awards this past weekend. And then who what were sort of the unofficial winners and losers. I hate using the word losers. I think actually in our Google doc later used a better word, <laughs> a kinder word, a more generous word than losers. But you know, some films, you know, now that people have seen them, as I said, some of them have kind of gone up in the hype and others have gone down because people have seen them and have been disappointed. So we're going to try to break that all down for you. Uh, today so that so that you don't have to read tons of articles about can you can just listen to us talk about it um so pt let's start who like can you explain how like what the awards are and what they kind of mean in particular the first three that we have on our list i can certainly try to uh so uh there there are three sort of top awards that are uh, that are given out. Um, the, the 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 number sort of the the number one top award is is the Palm d'Or or the Golden Palm, uh, which is is apparently they decided to change the name to that at some point. I want to say it was in the mid fifties and uh, commissioned a little work of art. It was like make a make a palm that's golden, um, and that gets given to the person who wins that. And it, it, the awards go to the directors of the movies, um, and that is sort of like the number one prize that's basically the first place like gold medal is uh the palm d'or um and then the the grand prix uh which sounds great but is actually second place uh it's still good which is still great but uh, the, the the grand prix is um you know for the for the sort of second most prestigious uh award that comes from from the jury and then the third one is uh i guess doesn't always happen um, they don't, you know, it's up sort of up to the jury. And I, I guess I should explain that there is a, a jury that exists for the festival of uh, uh, made up, I think, of like uh, filmmakers and maybe critics. I can actually look and see um, who was on it this year. It included um, Ruben Ostland, the uh, director of Triangle of Sadness and... Brie Larson and Paul Dano, I think, are the names that people that like average American moviegoers are going to know. Yes, and then there's um, you know a a French director, an, an uh, Afghan director, someone from Argentina, another director from uh, Morocco who's also an actress. Right. Um, it's, it's often I think the like previous year's winners are often the ones who end up on the jury. So I think I remember after Black Klansman won, Spike Lee was on the jury, I believe. Or something like that. Like mm-hmm. there's there's just a pattern. It's not it's not a guarantee, but there's a pattern of people who win 
then in the next year, maybe on the yes, uh, or or at least they had some sort of recent connection. If it can't be like the the next year, um, and then historically, it's not like a requirement, but they generally try to you know spread the love uh, even more so than when we uh, talk about the Oscar, the Academy voters spreading the love because it's a relatively small, I think like nine or ten person uh, committee. They try to sort of say, okay, like if if a movie is getting one award, then it, they're not getting an award somewhere else, which is relevant to how the awards played out this year. Um, so the Palme d'Or is first place, Grand Prix is second place, and then there's a jury prize, um, which is uh, de facto sort of third place, um, but it's um, the according to one definition that's on the completely reliable source Wikipedia, um, it's an award intended to recognize an original work that embodies the spirit of inquiry. Um, and so it's sort of like a, you know, if there was a third movie that there was some real, a real push for in the group, then they might give it. Um, it they give it out most years, but there have been stretches. I'm looking briefly and like in the late seventies, they didn't give this out for a long time. Um, but then, um, you know, for the last few decades, it's come up pretty pretty well. And when you look, it's interesting that there's like some of the, there's names that are bigger, I feel like maybe, um, you know, the, the, the Coens, um, Ken Loach gets referenced here a lot, Lars von Trier, um, and uh, uh, Park Chan-wook is, uh, is in here. Yorgos Lanthimos uh, also uh, has gotten the, the, the special um, special jury prize. Um, so yeah, those are the top three. And and again, th- when when they're awarded, I've never actually seen it. Um, I don't even know if it's like webcast. Um, but in hearing the description of it, there is a sort of it's almost I don't know. Like it's weird that like the comparison I have in my mind is a beauty pageant, but like I guess that is how it works. Where they're sort of like, and the third prize is this, and the second prize is this, and then when when they give the second prize, the first prize person also sort of realizes, oh, I probably. I'm the one who won because they only invite the people who are getting an award. And if, if you haven't gotten an award yet for your movie, you're probably getting the Palme d'Or. Um, so, um, so, yeah. So this year, the uh, jury prize went to uh, a movie called Fallen Leaves um, from from Finland. I don't think it's a good idea for me to try to pronounce um, Aki uh, Karismaki, I think is how you might say um, their name. Um, and the Grand Prix went to The Zone of Interest by uh, Jonathan Glazer. Uh, and the Palme d'Or went to Anatomy of a Fall by uh, Justine Triette. Awesome. So so what's really interesting is that if I'm thinking about all the podcasts and the articles, like all the kind of coverage I've consumed, two things. One, just in general, like after this week, after the, the sort of the buzz of Cannes dies down and we sort of move on with our lives, the Palme d'Or really is the only one that gets talked about mm-hmm. hereafter. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, former Palme d'Or winner. Last year... Ruben Oslin for Triangle of Sadness won and you know that got a best picture nomination right so like that's that's kind of the one that if you're if you're just trying to like what's the most important thing to take away from this uh-huh. that probably is the one to pay attention to the most but what the other thing that's interesting is that in the coverage I barely heard anything about Fallen Leaves but tons of people were jazzed about Anatomy of Fall and the Zone of Interest and in fact more people I think were excited about the Zone of Interest and kind of assumed that was going to win the Palme d'Or and so yes. the, the switch up at the end is kind of interesting. And the the sort of the, the way that I was what I had read, which is not exhaustive in any way, um, was that there there was an assumption that zone of interest uh, would take the top prize 
Uh, Jonathan Glazer uh, has not directed many movies, but each of his movies has been very critically acclaimed. Um, Sexy Beast, Birth, and Under the Skin. Uh, and Under the Skin was nine or ten years ago, so it's been a long time. Uh, so people were like, they were excited. He's thought of as uh, you know, a, 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 you know, current or or at least recent generation, uh, uh, you know, master. Sort of a uh, kind of has a Terrence Malick vibes of like they're back and they're doing it. We're very excited. Um, plus, it's adapted from a novel by Martin Amis, who uh, is an author who just passed. And so there was some degree of like, oh, is that going to affect that they're going to really push for it? And what people had been saying about the movie that did win the Palme d'Or, Anatomy of a Fall, was that the main actress was going to win uh, Best Actress. Um, and her name is uh, Sandra Hewler, um, which is interesting because she's also the the lead actress of uh, zone of interest. She's she's the star of both of right. these. She's movies. having a good year so far. Is my so it's sort of like, oh, she's great in both of these. Like she's going to get it, but instead, uh, the actress award in an, in an upset that like in that moment during the awards. Um, and again, I I, I apologize uh, if I'm not pronouncing this correctly. Merv Dizdar from a movie called About Dry Grasses out of Turkey. Um, and so people thought that was a huge upset and a shock. But then it made sense once it became that zone of interest wasn't winning Palme d'Or. Zone of Interest was coming in second, and uh, Anatomy of a Fall got the Palme d'Or. So, um, you know, that's interesting. I've I've heard both of them are supposed to be uh, very good. I did hear, and Jen, maybe you did as well, Zone of Interest, not an easy watch, not like a fun movie. I don't know if you want to talk about what it's about. Yeah, so Zone of Interest is a Holocaust movie, right? So so that already, just by, no matter what it was doing with that subject matter, it's going to be a tough movie for that reason. Um, but what's really interesting is that the main sort of selling point of it as kind of like a piece of art is that it never, act, it, so the story is about a Nazi family living just outside of Auschwitz. So the idea is that they are leading their kind of normal day-to-day lives and kind of enjoying life, you know, it right outside of all of this death and destruction and, and, and war crimes. And so what a lot of reviewers that I've listened to and read have talked about is that it, it purposefully never shows us. It, it's kind of like the anti Schindler's list, right? Where it's like, it's not sort of, forcing us to confront the visual and kind of visceral images associated with the horrors of the Holocaust. But it is sort of like more, I want to say like in a more kind of sinister, subtle way, sort of creeping, creeping you out because it's like, and almost to the point where it's actually more harrowing uh, as you're watching it, because you're, your your mind, your imagination is sort of filling in the blanks. Uh, because there you can like hear occasionally my understanding is like you can occasionally hear things like hear sounds coming from over the wall or whatever but that the main movie just like refuses to sort of engage with like we're not going to kind of like show you the horrible things that are happening we're just going to focus on this family and hopefully the effect of like the irony of them like you know just sitting around eating dinner while this is all happening um is supposed to be powerful enough so it sounds really interesting but yeah it sounds like it's going to be but like a lot of the critics I've listened to are debating how much like like not many people are optimistic this is going to have a lot of mainstream appeal for this mm-hmm. reason um, and that it's it's going to be more kind of like it, it will reach its limit 
as like an art house kind of film um, and not have it kind of made it. That doesn't mean it doesn't get an Oscar nomination, but, but that it has a little bigger hill to climb in terms of like making it over to the U S and being more popular. Um, Anatomy of the fall on the other hand is not like that because that is basically a murder mystery. And so all the true, true crime junkies like myself (laughs) (laughs) um, are, are, are going to be into that one. So, so that one is it's, uh, a court. My my understanding is it's a it's mainly a courtroom drama, but it's about a woman who is being tried for the murder of her husband. And part of the move the the mystery and the suspense of the movie is like, did she do it or did she not do it? And that the there's only one witness, and it was her son. And you know, I, I won't say more about him because I think that might be a spoiler. <laughs> like some people might consider it a spoiler. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Um, but the second I read that, I was like, oh. That's actually kind of a big deal. Um, anyway, but it sounds like it has that kind of like, I think I saw more than one reference to Hitchcock mm-hmm. in terms of like a comparison and that it's like, it's like very much like a mystery and a thriller, a crime thriller. I, I, you know, I'm still very much interested in watching the zone of interest, but I was enthusiastic and kind of excited <laughs> about anatomy of the fall. Yeah. A zone of, a zone of interest. It felt like everyone I, I, read or or listened to on on a, on podcasts that talked about having seen it were almost all almost unanimously like I will never watch this again like this is too this is heavy um but that it was really important and you know it had that like capture that banality of evil and how easy it is to sort of look the other way and and be like oh yeah like I guess everything's fine like my life's totally normal um which is you know a good a good thing to uh interrogate in in our modern lives when things happen uh around the world but that it does that doesn't make it like a you know pop the popcorn uh, let's you know, let's throw on you know your or you're flipping through the TV on a Saturday afternoon and be like oh Zone of Interest is on great that's not you know going to be the, that movie's legacy whereas um, the uh, Anatomy of a Fall is I mean, I'm not saying it's like lighthearted entertainment but it's you know it is that sort of more you know mystery uh, uh, suspense thriller courtroom uh, uh, you know, un- unraveling, unpacking what happened. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it will be interesting to, uh, to see, you know, what happens with these two and how they play out. Um, the, uh, sort of speculation I, they were saying on the the Little Gold Men podcast that that's the episode uh, of podcasting I listened to about Can um, and the other two I had lined up I didn't get to before we recorded, um, but they were saying they had two people who had gone and were in Can and actually seen the movies and they thought that uh, Jonathan Glazer as director might you know have a chance to sort of get in there as uh, as that that sort of. Uh, outlier, like lone, not necessarily lone nomination, but disconnected from Best Picture. Um, that that has happened a lot the last few years. Um, that he may have uh, some chances there, um, and that. Uh, and I have to move to the other part of the document. Sandra Hewler uh, is the name of the actress that she might have a chance to be nominated for um, uh, Anatomy of a Fall um, because she, I guess, it's just a stellar performance. Yeah, I heard multiple critics talking about that, that that was very likely. And I think Matt Neglia from Next Best Picture was very emphatic of like, you don't know what you're doing if you don't have her in your best actress prediction. So so that to me, I took very seriously. I was like, okay, mental note made. Were there any other standouts from or things that you wanted to comment on from the rest? Because I don't I don't think we need to go by go through 
blow by blow the rest of the winners, but were there, were there any that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to mention? I mean, there's nothing that uh, that that stood out. Um, you know, the, both Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest already have uh, American distributions, as, as do as does Fallen Leaves, um, which uh, is the third place movie. And I will uh, fully admit, I didn't review the summary of what uh happened in that movie so i can't even describe it um which was is my is my setup uh as jen looks like she's frantically googling um to see what that one's about uh but it seems all the other movies they don't have american distribution yet um they all sound like they could be very interesting uh and uh you know that's that's uh part of uh part of the i guess benefit of looking at this festival is sort of realizing how much uh, of the of the global um, movie? I don't want to say industry, but you know, mo- movie world there is that's out there uh, that at least I remain ignorant of, and I, I should be trying to um, spread uh, uh, spread my knowledge uh, about that. Um, you know, and there has been uh, a attempts or or a movement uh around the oscars to sort of you know every year there seem to be a couple of international movies uh that have been getting into uh, the best picture race or getting into the conversations outside of international film um and maybe one of these is one that will uh that will bubble up but it did seem like that that, that top two were the were the ones from the award winners that um had the most sort of buzz and heat uh out you know, yeah. as as the festival ended I would agree. It was ni- it was nice to hear a lot of positive comments about those two films, and then to be like, "Oh, they won! That's great!" Uh, so, so I did look up "Fallen Leaves." the The IMDb tagline is two lonely people who meet each other by chance in Helsinki." In the oh, sorry, in the Helsinki night. That was this is not a very well written sentence. Uh, sorry, I had to. <laughs> All respect to the dear "Fallen Leaves." IMDb. <laughs> Um, so yeah, let me let me do that again. Two lonely people who meet each other by chance in the Helsinki night. I'm like, I don't think you can use Helsinki as a <laughs> modifier for a night. Anyway, and try to find the first love of their lives. Mm. So, so a romance? Sure. Question mark? Um, yeah, sounds sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I also heard the shout out I want to give to the re- the best director was um, for a film called the. And I don't speak French. I knew that was going to come up during at some point during this episode. I learned Spanish in high school and Italian in college. So my apologies to the French. Uh, the Patafo. But I heard this was like a really good, I think, Isaiah Washington from Next Best Picture called this a comfort food movie. Mm. And it is about food. It's about it's about a chef, I believe. Um, and then it was just like a really nice, great, well done satisfying movie um so that one might actually have a more cult mainstream appeal potentially from what people were saying about it yeah i i was the the one thing i was sort of seeing about that compared to uh or or in line with the other movies is that you know for those who don't know the way that the international feature category works is each country 
select, or, you know, I, and again, I don't know what, I'm sure it's not like the president or the prime minister, but there's like a film board that selects a movie to, uh, to be submitted to the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences as their representative for, you know, th- their nomination for international feature. And then it goes through the process from that long list to a short list to the nominations. So, you know, assuming there aren't any other movies, even now already, France has to choose between the pot a few, maybe, um, that uh, that one best director um, for, and I'll continue to not pronounce things very well, uh, Tran An Hung. Uh, who is the who is the director? Um, so they have that movie. They have they have pot off you, and they have Anatomy of a Fall, which is also uh, also a French movie. And so it's like they're going to have to choose one of those. So only one of those could possibly be nominated for Best International, which potentially shuts the other one out from the Oscar conversation, unless um, you know something like Best Actress or or a screenplay or something. It, it gets so much momentum, um, but that's how. You know, sometimes there ends up being a movie that has, you know, all this like RRR that has all this momentum of like people be like, we love this movie. This movie came out and we're so happy for it. Um, and it's, you know, from this other, another country. It's international. Why isn't it up for best international film? Because the film academy of the country might have chosen a different movie. And sometimes even now. Uh, you know, seven months out from the end of the year, people can already see, oh, there's two trains heading to a collision uh, in France. Um, and and that's, you know, not, maybe there's more that's coming, but these two are both really good and either one could be viable not nominees and it's, you know, one's going to get left out. All right. So those were the official winners that we talked about. Um, so things to pay attention to and that might end up in the Oscar race in varying varying capacities. But there also, I believe, were a lot of unofficial winners, especially for a lot of the films that were out of competition and therefore not eligible for all the awards that we were just talking about. So uh, what were, what what to you was the, the film that had the most buzz or an increase in buzz coming out of Cannes? Um, well, I, I, I guess I'll... St- start with a a personal increase in buzz because it was like I was kind of aware of it but uh, I didn't even know if it was coming out this year Um, and that's May December the Todd Haynes movie uh, which I believe was in competition but just just didn't get any of the uh, of the awards I could be wrong about that I'll I'll double check when I stop talking but uh, that's uh, that is uh, a a movie uh, starring Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore Uh, And Natalie Portman plays an actress who's going to portray Julianne Moore's character in a in a movie. And Julianne Moore's character is uh, had been a a school teacher who had started a romantic affair with an underage student and they are still married. Um, So she has a a husband who's 15, 20 years younger than her. Um, And so uh, that. Like I, I knew this movie existed. There was a log line for it, and that's like, oh, that sounds rough. I don't know. I don't know about that movie. Um, but apparently, it is, uh, you know, very much a satire. Um, uh, the word people kept using that is sort of ephemeral to me. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I get what they're going with. Is it's very campy that it is sort of playing up. It's not like mocking the, uh, you know, the sort of core like abusive uh dynamic at the at the heart of such a relationship but about the way that 
society responds to stories like this, the sort of tabloidification of uh, of a story um, when something like this gets out, uh, and then how the sort of Hollywood machine churns through um, these these real life stories. And apparently it's very funny and that Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore are incredible at it. Um, and, you know, Todd Haynes is not always sort of hitting uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, the Academy, um, but he's great. Like he's really good uh, as, a, as a director. So it's good that he's, he's back. He hasn't, I have to double check. I don't think he's made a movie in a, in a few years. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this one um, that, uh, you know, I wasn't, you know, had it sort of not really on the radar again, because I, it sounded like it was going to be a little bit more creepier than cutting. More than one critic has said that they were, they were surprised and very impressed that the tone of this movie worked as well as it did and that they managed to find the humor in the subject matter while still the, and this was the key thing for me, I think that why people were like pretty wowed by this movie is that it still somehow conveyed that the, the original inciting act of a teacher having an affair with a student was wrong mm-hmm. and that Julianne Moore's character was in the wrong. It was, did not do the right thing and is like potentially a bad person. And so um, while still kind of like maintaining this lighter campier tone and finding the humor in the situation. So, I mean, like you, I sort of saw this and was like, Oh, Todd, Todd Haynes makes good movies. Uh, I liked far from heaven. Um, but then read the, the, the premise and I was like, eh, I don't know. And, but now hearing people's reactions now, I'm and, and then, and now it's being, has sorry, has been bought by Netflix, but only here's the, the it's like Netflix with an asterisk. It's only the North American mm-hmm. distribution rights. Uh, they did not want to pay for. And so therefore they, they had to spend a lot less money because they don't, they didn't have to pay for global distribution. Uh, so that thought that was really interesting. Yeah. But, and we can talk later about what the rationale behind that decision might be in terms of like, is this an award? I think people are confused. They're like, Oh, is this Netflix trying to pick up another awards contender? Is this some, just something they feel like people are going to stumble upon and somehow enjoy? <laughs> apropos of nothing um i don't know so so it's yeah really i'm yeah this this one was very just a a slight blip on my radar and now is actually on it yeah uh that's uh i think that's a good summary of it i will just note i I wasn't really right when i said todd haynes hasn't made a movie in a long time i hadn't thought of a todd haynes movie since carol which was 2015 he's made technically three movies since then one of them is a documentary about the velvet underground but wonderstruck and dark waters both existed. I remember them coming out. I remember people saying, these movies are good. Why is no one talking about them? But I then I forgot them. And I apologize to Todd Haynes and the good people of Wonderstruck and the Dark Waters, or just Dark Waters. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I think this looks like it could be really good. It, it's funny that uh, I we didn't mention this earlier, but I, I, I guess in the book Zone of Interest, uh, there is part of the plot is... Uh, that there is some sort of a love triangle. And uh, I guess that's very minimal to the borderline cutout of the movie. But I feel like when I was reading about like, here are movies that are coming out 
this year uh, in general and particularly going to, uh, to to the Cannes Festival, it was like, well, there's this movie about a love triangle in the Holocaust uh, based on not people in the Holocaust, but like perpetrators of the Holocaust. And there's a movie about a, you know, about a woman who had sex with a student. And I was like, well, those sound not fun. I don't think I'll want to see either of those. Um, and it turns out both of them are really good. So that's nice. Um, Jen, what's a winner for you or what's a, what's a, what, what bumped up its hype meter in your opinion? So I was extremely relieved to hear that asteroid city got a lot of good buzz coming out of can i don't think it, no one no one really was counting wes anderson out necessarily but you know people as we discussed i think last episode or in a previous episode people not us to be clear not us but other people these other weird fools are have 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 cooled on wes anderson uh and you know the number of times i heard a critic say I haven't really felt this way about Wes Anderson since Grand Budapest Hotel. For some reason, Grand Budapest Hotel, which I guess, you know, maybe coincidence or maybe not, was the big Oscar play, Mm -hmm. I think, if we look at uh, at Wes Anderson's career as a whole. That one has, I think, got the most nominations. But, you know, a lot of people cite that as like, that's good. That was that was the last time I thought Wes Anderson was good. And then those same critics are coming back with Asteroid City saying, and now he's back. Right. This is this is how I feel again, Uh, because I feel like this is and some people even went so far to say that this is his best film, Mm -hmm. period. Others were saying, like, this is his best film since fill in the blank with another Wes Anderson movie. So uh, I was really pleasantly surprised. Uh, And, you know, I was sad that there was all this sort of like backhanded or (laughs) backhanded compliments that really were throwing shade at French Dispatch, a movie I loved. and I love dogs. I love dogs is great. I don't know. I, I, I really maybe because it's just dogs, and then I'm I'm an easy mark. I don't know. I was a little iffier on I love dogs. I, I did look at. I was like, what? Like, what else did he do? It, it, since Graham Budapest was just I love dogs in the French Dispatch, um, so I guess if you didn't, if one person, not you, if one were to not like the French Dispatch and I love dogs, then yeah, I guess you'd be like, yeah, it's been a, it's been a slump. But that's it's only two movies. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've heard phrases like return to form. Yeah. It's getting back to his maybe and the 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 subtext that I got out of it is that maybe this is has a little bit more of an emotional core, like sort of like a Royal Royal Tannenbaums than French French I think a lot of people who complained about French dispatch were like it's too it's too twee, it's too intellectualized, it's not it's doesn't it's soulless right like those were kind of the harsh criticisms i think of french dispatch and i think all those people are sort of coming back around being like no this is what we wanted from him this is and so that's great i'm really excited to to see the movie now that it has all these these sort of like reviewers falling over backwards for it yeah i mean to the degree that now i like there's a part of me that was like should i be worried that all these people who hated wes anderson movies for the last like decade like this one does that mean i'm not gonna like it because i did like those wes anderson movies um but i don't think that's i don't think that's the case uh i would yeah i was actually feel like i was hearing people go even beyond grand budapest and say this is the best one since the royal tenenbaums it's the first one since tenenbaums that had the emotion so successfully at the core in addition to the artifice, which I think is selling short the emotional components of other Wes Anderson movies. But, you know, that's a separate conversation. The fact that it was resonating and hitting so well with such a wide swath of people um, and and a, a people with a wide range of opinions of how Wes Anderson's movies have been for the last 
one to two decades. Um, yeah, it's it's very exciting, and uh, it it sounds like there's just a lot of a lot of great elements there, and uh, you know, just uh, that that amazing cast from that from the poster when you just look at that list of names, that they're they're all doing a great job and just just bringing it, and people are really excited about it. Scarlett Johansson got a lot of shout outs and uh, Ben Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman. Or Jason, sorry, I knew I was going to get that wrong. <laughs> Jason, I can edit that out. Jason Schwartzman. Leave it in. Leave it in. Let him, let him, let him learn. <sighs> now, now I'm imagining. Uh, ben Schwartz. That was a Don Ralphio. Yeah. <laughs> Is his character. From I'm Martin in Atomic Rex, City. A- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so actually, I guess, I guess this is a great time to share the the, the minor personal connection I, ha- I have to this oh. film. I was not able to do that previously. So uh, a, a, a friend of, of John, my husband, his kids who are triplets are in Asteroids. Oh, and, that's awesome. Uh, and he had like he was very tight lipped about it, you know, understandably for a long time, but kept, you know, just kept saying this was like he his whole family they moved to spain to film to for to film and this was like a huge thing for them that they they were like can we do this is like it's one of those sort of like it sounds like it was one of those sort of like pivotal pivotal life to- choices where you're like can we do this and they did it and it was amazing and so he said he has so many stories to tell wow. about and and every everyone was amazing and tom hanks like became their grandpa and like <laughs> it's just like it sounds incredible um and so I'm hoping, hopefully, you know, maybe because I'm saying it on air, it will manifest. Um, hopefully we can get him on the podcast and interview him about his experience. He said that he asked like the, the studio would have to listen to it and sign off on it, which I then suddenly was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do it because I'm really intimidated by that <laughs> idea. Um, but, uh, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully at least, at least, and, and he's gracious enough to host a screening for friends and family. Oh, when the very comes nice. Out. And so hopefully, hopefully John and I can go to that. Um, yeah, his his kids are adorable. I have full confidence that they're going to be amazing. And I think he posted on social media the other day that like a review out of Can had specifically used the phrase and and adorable little girls. And he's like, those are mine. <laughs> I did that. So that's yeah. me. So I'll, yeah. So it's I'm really happy for for all of them. It's awesome. And twins. That's great. Um, that's really fun. Uh, I, I I think I saw that in in a Google Doc, and I was like, "What is happening?" It's like, and John's friend. Uh, and it was like, okay, um, but uh, that's really cool, and I'm glad that you know it's always nice that those stories don't have. And then there's one person I won't even tell you about, or it's like, oh no. Um, but that if right. you know, he had only good things to that's say. That's great. Um, yeah, this I'm super excited for this movie. I already have. And to be clear, he didn't tell me anything about the movie. <laughs> like he has not broken yes. his NDA at all. It was just his about just all vibes, all good vibes dear, about his. Experience. Dear people of Focus Features, do not get mad at the triplets' dad, uh, <laughs> or or by extension us. Um, but uh, yeah, this movie looks amazing. I'm very excited for it. I already have tickets. Uh, I'll I'll be there. I'll be there opening weekend. Um, so the other the other big movie, uh, I, I think it's fair to say, I, I did put an unofficial winners. I, I put Sandra Hewler because uh, she had starred in the top two movies, but we already talked about her. I can be totally honest. I hadn't. I. I had never heard of her before this. I, I will also be honest. I haven't either. I feel like there's a maybe there's a chance I've we've both seen her in things, uh, and her name just hasn't. Probably because I feel like everyone was talking about her. Like I was supposed to know who she was. Yeah, and I'm just like I don't know who this is. 
Uh, oh, she was in Tony Erdman, which is a movie I have not seen, um, but which is supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be excellent. I want to say it maybe got nominated for best uh, uh, international movie, um, but uh, I, I could be right. It was. It was nominated for best foreign language movie, but lost. And I think that there was some uh, push at the time for her to maybe get uh, get a Best Actress nomination for it. Um, that was also the movie that they were talking about remaking. I forget who was going to be in it. Um, does this Wikipedia page have a discussion of it? It does. Because um, it's about a... Uh, let me make sure I'm I'm saying this right. Of course, there's no quick summary on the Wikipedia page. Um but I, it's about an uh, uh, like a woman whose father, I think, or an older man in her life, sort of e- either comes out as trans or just starts presenting as a woman, and it's sort of like un- unclear what exactly how they're they're dealing with that. Um, and there was rumors they were going to remake it in America uh, with Kristen Wiig as the daughter and Jack Nicholson as the dad, and that was going to be like Jack Nicholson returning to movies one last time, and it never happened. Um, and part of it, people were like, "Why would you remake that?" The original is so good, and it stars Sandra Hewler. So that's why we should know who she is, apparently. All Jen. right. Um, so the other movie um, that I think is, is a big winner that uh, premiered outside of competition, as mentioned earlier, is Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Martin Scorsese movie, the long gestating Martin Scorsese movie that's been, I, I think, was it in the can before the pandemic or did they film it early in the pandemic? But it, it, it certainly was rumored it was going to come out last year uh, and then it wasn't done. It wasn't ready. So they pushed it. Um, and, you know, it's it's been getting the sort of long buildup of they, were, they aimed for this for the can premiere. Um, and then it's coming out in uh, um, in theaters in October. And then I think, you know, cause it's being distributed by Apple, it'll be on Apple TV, uh, later, uh, later in either later in October or in November. Um, and the reviews were very good reviews were like, this is excellent. Uh, it's, you know, it's worth the wait. It's, it's, uh, every, basically everything you wanted a, uh, epic Western crime drama directed by Martin Scorsese and starring, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro as like two different kinds of bad guys. Um, everything about that that sounds good. This is it. Um, the uh, you know the the rumors for a long time was that the the star and the you know the real sort of breakout performance would be Lily Gladstone, and that seems to be accurate. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's there's a few. Uh, I, I don't say this in a denigrating or bad way. There's a few predictable uh, concerns that people have. One is it's still, there's still the kind of, this is a movie about native American people that's told, you know, directed by Martin Scorsese um, and uh, you know, co-written with Eric Roth. Like this, you know, this is from, from white men um, and you know, the, the big stars are, you know, the bad guys. Uh, so you know that inevitably sort of pulls the focus away from from the main people, um, but the you know I guess the the discussion around that is it's it does do a very good job, and there was a lot of kind of uh, uh, you know tw- Twitter threads, um, and I think like an, an essay or two from people in the Osage Nation who were saying like how much the the filmmakers had worked with them, had communicated with them about this, and that you know there was a big sort of overhaul in the screenplay from it being about 
the you know the, the white characters centered around them um and switching it to not being as centered um which uh you know is maybe I, we'll have to see if that's enough to not feel like this is the leo and, and de niro show um but that's the one big complaint and the other one is that it's three and a half hours long which is not short um it's it's a long uh, a long movie i i did hear uh, again, on the Little Gold Men podcast, one of the people who saw it say, I thought the first movie that was in this movie was the best part. Um, but other people thought the second movie that was in this movie was the best part mm. because, you know, it's uh, long enough to be to be two movies. I, on the other hand, um, the, a person who went and saw The Irishman in in the theater, um, I'm like the onion thing with uh, the sickos in the window just going, ha ha, yes, like give me a three and a half hour uh, Martin Scorsese movie and I'm I'm good to go I did not I saw the Irishman at home on my couch over multiple evenings so I had the opposite experience I cannot I cannot brag about the the my commitment to Marty That's... in the way that, in the way that you can um but I'm I am extremely I was already pretty excited as past episodes the record the record will show we were both we were we have been both excited. About the number one draft pick. Uh, number one draft pick in our draft. Yes. So, shockingly. Uh, right. Um, but I would say that I'm even more excited now. I think. Because, and I think that they timed it really well where the tr- the trailer hit the internet. Just so I was, I you know, I saw a bunch of red carpet photos of everybody piling in for the premiere. And then the trailer hit and it's the trailer is amazing and like i completely 100 percent fell for the who are the wolves in this picture mm-hmm. can you find the wolves in this picture bit i was like yes yep. this is so it seems so like dark and sinister and and i think that actually was a big comment i think a, a common thread in reactions that i saw was that i can't remember what the superlative was but like that this is either the the darkest or the grittiest or like the kind of like the, the the most sort of like underbelly like dark underbelly Martin Scorsese movie which I mean considering movies he's made before uh, finally finally Martin Scorsese made a movie a about the dark side of humanity it's about time right. um so so you know it's interesting because I think there there are a couple of dissenters there were a couple of this was disappointing mm. reviews uh but I think overall barring those ones on average most critics we're saying that this is like a sort of a career defining or at least like a, a milestone career milestone movie mm-hmm. and that it's really kind of like a culmination of a lot of the things that, that his past works have kind of been working towards. So that's really exciting just from the trailer alone. I would say just that the, it looks like it's complex and that the characters are layered and that we're just going to be again, like gazing at the greed, like I think greed is very obviously a thing that a theme that's coming through from the trailer. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm just excited into it. The, the, the criticism that you mentioned of some people like there's two movies in here and some people like one and other people like the other. So apparently part of that dividing line is Lily Gladstone because mm-hmm. I've heard, I think it might've been little gold men actually, which I also listened to uh, a, a, more than one critic sort of says that like, when Lily Gladstone is centered in the movie, it's at its best. Mm-hmm. And that, and that once she kind of like falls to the the wayside, just because of the plot that it, the movie becomes less interesting. So for what it's worth. And I think that might, that might go along with sort of what you opened with when you were talking about this movie of the, the idea of who's 
point of view is is centered and you know which which community they come from and sort of in the situation so if you had you have no idea what this movie is about you know you can go listen to our our previous episode about, about it i suppose um but as a as a quick catch-up it's over oil so it's like it's you know it's basically the the osage uh nation discovers oil and then all of the the kind of like white billionaires sort of like hone in on them and 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 try to and there's just and there's a series of murders and the idea is like that they're trying to kind of like wipe them out to take over the oil right that's right yeah um and so so yeah i would say if you haven't watched the trailer go watch the trailer and then you can get excited about it along with us uh, yeah i mean it just it does it does look incredible and you know the 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 praise for again all of the actors especially lily gladstone Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro are just that, you know, they're everyone's working at, at at the at the top of their game, which, you know, has also been, you know, that sort of the hype from, you know, like I think Leonardo DiCaprio said it was like this is the best screenplay I've ever read. Um and Jesse Plemons, I think, said this was the best movie I've ever worked on. Um, you know, it's there's there's a, certainly a lot of hype for it. I at this point it's it's really I have to temper my excitement because I'm so excited for it. Right. It's like we don't want to go. Overboard. Yeah, is this is this possible? Um, but but at the risk of going overboard, the <laughs> the pun the Oscar pundits specifically are are flagging this now. They did they were tentative before. It was a tentative p- potential Oscar player. Now it's like almost sure assuredly this will get a best picture mm-hmm. nomination. And then probably a slew of acting nominations. People are really talking about Lily Gladstone. Mm-hmm. And then, but the question, the question is like, what category are they going to put her in? Is she going to be leading? Or is she going to be supporting? Typically there's some shenanigans with that. Yeah. Uh, if you, based on where they think she, like an actress will have a better chance or an actor will have a better chance. It's like, if we, if they are at functionally the lead, which it sounds like she, she kind of could be, but she has a better chance in supporting. Right. will be, do category fraud and put her in there so that so that's kind of up in the air but pe- but but it's a sort of presumed that she's a part of the oscar conversation yeah. now which is really cool i think i think it's yeah, presumed she's part of the conversation of everyone related to this movie is the one that feels like it's already kind of being speculated of like well that that, that will be if there's only one win if this isn't like a powerhouse multiple win movie like lily gladstone's the one who will get the win for this movie and you know the sort of the the drum beat seems to be that of course this will get nominated but will it get nominated and be like the Irishman or be like another you know legendary director who was making the career capstone movie in Steven Spielberg and the Fablemans where it's like great like you got like 10 12 nominations you're not actually going to win anything but like mm-hmm. you know good job getting all these nominations everyone was sick of talking about you like four months before the movie actually came out to general audiences. So, um, you know, we'll see. Maybe it's so, so good that it, it it pushes past all of that. But there may there may be some of that inertia, as as the little gold men people were saying. Um, you know, Martin Scorsese is taken for granted. Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro taken for granted, where it's just sort of like, yeah, of course, like they're really good. They've gotten Oscars. It's fine. Like, whatever. Um, but yeah, this feels like it has... Uh, it certainly has a lot of energy. It, it was always kind of on the radar as like, yeah, this is very probable, but now it's sort of like, 
yeah, it's, 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 it's still on the track. It's on the right track to success. All right. So I think we can move on now to the less good news. Mm. So which films do you feel like had the most wah, wah kind of coming out of camp? Well, I mean, the unfortunately, again, another another uh, high draft pick in, uh, in our movies and one we were both excited about. Um, but James Mangold's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny had a rough reception uh, from the the people who saw it. Um, you know, there was a lot of like, yeah, not really. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really work. It's, it's, it's creaky. Uh, the, you know, they're, they're doing, they're doing the best they can, but it's just, isn't particularly successful, um, which is unfortunate. You know, it's kind of weird. Like we had the discussion, I think on an earlier episode about, Oh well, they're bringing it to Cannes. Like they must be really confident in it. And they must feel really good. And they gave James Mangold. They've already announced he's doing a, a Star Wars movie, so they must feel really good about this. And maybe they do. Maybe they still do. But it is interesting. Of like, this doesn't seem like the kind of movie that the critics of Cannes, who are here to see international, uh, global, uh, arty movies, um, you know, will will want to see. I mean, with with a Wes Anderson movie and a Martin Scorsese movie as the other kind of big prominent, uh, uh, you know, prominent features that are happening out of competition. Um, it feels a little weird. Um, they had brought uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull um, to Cannes back in 2008. I don't think that it had a particularly warm reception then either. And I think that most people don't have a particular warm memory of the movie. Some people uh, out there, I'm sure, love it. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was disappointing because... I would I would have loved it. I would love it for the feedback to at least have been, look, this isn't particularly good, but it's very fun. It you know, it does the blockbuster thing well. Yada yada yada. And instead it feels like ah, it's overstuffed and it's it's kind of by the numbers and relies too much on nostalgia, which are all things I do not want to hear about it. I'm still seeing it. I still have a ticket for it. Don't get me wrong. But uh I've I've definitely downgraded it from this could be really good to I'm just glad that you know, hopefully it's better than Indy Four, which I don't really care for. What a roller coaster we have been on with this movie! <laughs> because I feel like when they originally announced it, it was like, uh, okay, we didn't really. Do we really need to go through this again? Is this this probably can't be good, right? I was very skeptical. Then slowly the hype started building. We had hope. Maybe this is amazing. Could this be like a mind-blowing end to Harrison Ford's career as this character? Could we, could it, could it, could it? Like we kind of kept like kept speculating about about its prospects. And now it's like this the the, the roller coaster, you know, cr- creaked, 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 and now we're tumbling down. <laughs> I think. At least for me. Where I was just really crestfallen when I saw all the reactions. For this, it was just where pe- people really went hard. A lot of critics, and, and unnecessarily so, probably. Maybe, maybe they felt like it was fair game because they had sort of put themselves out there at 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 Cannes by having this the can big Cannes premiere. But it's yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. I think there were a couple critics who were more hopeful and and said like there's a lot to appreciate this is still a good indiana jones movie it's just not the sort of like masterpiece 
and it's kind of plays it too safe. That's sort of mm-hmm. that's the nicest, I think, version of the of a critique that I heard. So, yeah, still not not great. People are generally very happy about Phoebe Waller Bridge. Yeah. Which is nice. So that's great. That's great to hear. I'm glad she's not going to get whatever whatever critical quagmire is happening. She's not going to get swallowed up in it. So that's good. Uh, but and, and you know and and again, people keep saying Harrison Ford is giving 110. percent Like he clearly cares about this. It's just apparently the movie that's surrounding him is like not really supporting that. Mm-hmm. Um, at least according to the critics. But yeah, I agree with you that I think the people are kind of going back and forth about this of like, like there are a lot of critics scratching their heads. I was just listening to the town, which is a, a ringer podcast. That's sort of about Hollywood and the industry. It was actually my first time listening to it. It was a good listen. It was, it, it was definitely, if you feel like the big picture podcast gets too <laughs> industry talk, this is like the next step over. <laughs> like, so like, so, so if it's too, if, if, if big picture is too much, business talk for you then don't listen to the the town i think based on just based on this one episode maybe that's not fair um but i really enjoyed it i ate it up and and the host matt bellamy was sort of like why would they do this what is like wh- why would they put themselves in this position because now they have like three or four weeks of just bad reviews sitting mm-hmm. there uh why would you know why would they do this why would they put their necks out unless they knew they had a home run um because now it's just backfiring and now it's like critics are really going hard against it and then that that could very well have a ripple effect i mean i think i think i think that part's not right i think people are still like us still love indiana jones still are going to go see this movie probably still going to enjoy it mm-hmm. right um despite the the this might be one of those movies that like the the critics the not not that rotten tomatoes should be taken that seriously but that the critics critic percentage and the audience percentage are going to be like way different so so that's that's kind of my my take on it right now but yeah it is kind of interesting uh the the town and little gold men and i want to say probably one other podcast at least and a bunch of articles are sort of saying people are chasing the high of top gun maverick Mm -hmm. which premiered at Cannes out of competition last year and that had the opposite effect where everyone was like hey this is amazing and then that started the the unstoppable hype train that continued didn't really to this day the oscars as much but still it still is going strong people are have no bad words about top gun maverick uh and and so i think people so everyone i think was trying to trying to cash in on that and be the top gun maverick of this year and so maybe that's what they were they were hoping for but they didn't quite it didn't quite land i mean i think the problem is that Top Gun only had one other movie before Top Gun Maverick, and it was great. Yeah, uh, and did really well, right? Whereas we've had lots of Indiana. Indiana Jones is a much longer running franchise. I do think that's an issue. I also think that you know there's there is that like uh, late era Tom Cruise element of like the spectacle of the insane things that he does. Like I'm in the plane and like, you can see it's me in the plane and, and everyone else is in the planes um, that, you know, has it leads to a particular kind of, of thrilling filmmaking that maybe would resonate with people in can, even if they're just like, ah, it's all blah, blah, about like, why are they doing this mission? Who cares? It's blockbuster emptiness, but this, you know, the filmmaking is, uh, you know, wins people over uh, either way. I, I do, I do wonder. And again, this is, 
100% me trying to talk myself into like, maybe the movie's actually not going to be that bad, or at least like re- maybe recalibrating my expectations where the like discussion or the, the the number of times the word like sort of nostalgia came out in terms of talking about this, you know, made it sort of seem like it's kind of trying to position itself as the Force Awakens for Indiana Jones of like, uh, look, are we doing anything new? No, but like we're kind of, you know, we're bringing back the the hits and you love them. And, you know, we're going to we're going to run through them again. And you know, people are old now, but like, that's OK. Um, and, you know, with this movie's like we're going to have like flashbacks or or whatever, uh, whatever it's going to be. There was like, he's also young uh, with technology. And so that's going to be fun. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that. You know, it it's, could partially be just the what is how life has unfolded and the world has unfolded in the eight years since 2015 um, to 2023, where it's like that no longer seems like super fun of just like, oh, we're just going to go back to a thing from like you know, the, the childhood of, uh, Gen X and the like young adulthood of baby boomers and be like, remember this thing? Wasn't it great? Don't you love it? Didn't you love it? Um, and we're going to do it again. Uh, you know, which, you know, I guess the way that I've sort of been thinking of it is like, it's trying to be the force awakens. It might end up being ghostbusters afterlife, which again, like some people really liked, but you know, didn't really resonate and didn't like, certainly like the, the critics were soured on that like, approach to things. So, um, you know, I'm, it's funny. You, it's funny. You mentioned force awakens because Eric Cohen of IndieWire, I believe his exact words were Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny has big force awakens energy. <laughs> uh, did he mean that in a good way or a bad way? He, he meant that in a mostly bad way i mean like not not in a, he wasn't trying to be malicious or anything like that or snarky he was just saying like it's solid but it basically everything you just said that it, it's it's trying to tap into a nostalgic feeling mm-hmm. and kind of recall what people loved about the past and so therefore that kind of prevents it from doing anything new and interesting right. in the present and so so that he meant he meant it you know, I th- and I think that's fair. Like, I mean, I think f- I, that's sort of how I feel about Force Awakens. I love the movie when it came out. I was like, yes, this is Star Wars. I love it. All these new characters and then old characters. Like, you know, I was I was all in. But once you start pointing out all the similarities to A New Hope and how they really were just trying to kind of like recreate something from beat for beat, then it's like, oh, right. We can't really give you creativity points. <laughs> Yeah, for that it 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 does, and it does like sort of make sense in a meta way not to shift this into being the the Lucasfilm world conversation or or podcast, um, but you know that there the last time it felt like there was a and we're really excited about this movie because this is the movie that like we think is great and we've given a bunch more projects to the director because we think they did such a good job was ryan johnson in the last jedi and it was just like this went really well he's going to do a trilogy you're you know we're, we think this movie's great uh, and they put it out and uh i mean in my opinion they, and i think your opinion as well that they were right that movie is great um but a bunch of people were like no like boo we don't like this this is bad um and so they're like uh okay and so now they're sort of like okay remember the movie you did like like everyone liked the force awakens it made like a billion and a half dollars like worldwide like everyone loved it indiana jones it's just like that like we're doing that we're really excited we're going to can we're gonna have like a two-month lead time of all the happy like hype and it's just like no like people don't like that anymore i i have to say though you know all of that aside it was really wonderful to see harrison ford at can mm-hmm. 
and I mean, not personally, like to see to see coverage, news coverage. Of right. him. Breaking news: You were at Cannes. <laughs> I just, I know. But you surprise. hung out with Harrison Ford. Yes. Um, no. <laughs> Let's go back to reality. Uh, yeah, that 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 to see him have kind of a moment. So if you look at clips of the end of the screening of or the end of the premiere of Dial of Destiny. He gets the, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but he gets the, you know, the, the signature can standing ovation. Mm -hmm. I believe it was five minutes. minutes. Uh, And he's, he's kind of looking around, he's waving and he starts tearing up. Like he's having, it, it really got to him that, that, you know, that this movie, he'd managed to make this movie. It came out. People were clapping for it, right? Like that did something. And he, you know, can gave him, we didn't mention this in our awards because it was an honorary award, but he, he got an honorary Palme d'Or. Uh, and you know, it was, it was, so he had, he had at least, he at least had a good time at Cannes, uh, it seems like. And, and honestly, just to see him and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, like, yuck, like, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like joking around on the red carpet and taking photos and stuff like that. I was like, the, yeah, the, for that alone, this was probably worth it, regardless of what's happening with the movie <laughs> right. and the reactions to it, um, just from a fan perspective. And so, yeah, that was, that was really nice to see. Um, awkward that uh, his wife close to Flockhart was not seated next to him. I don't know if you saw. I this. didn't. We're getting into celebrity gossip. That's now, okay. So the, is there short. trouble but, in paradise? Trouble in Montana? So no, 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 okay. no, no. It's that can can for some reason thought that that Harrison Ford's wife close to Flockhart should sit right behind oh. him instead of next to him. Well, so she's and in the so shot. They have little. So they have little signs on the seats of like who was supposed to sit where. And so there's a, there's a really unfortunate clip of them walking in and then they basically are like, what, where's her seat? And then they realize that, Oh, she's in the row behind him. And they're like, this is unacceptable. <laughs> so, I don't I don't know what happened after that. Cause it was like a short, like Instagram clip or something like that. But um, I thought that was really funny of like, Ooh, like <laughs> that's a, That is unfortunate. I, I will to add on to what you said about, I agree fully about the the ovation and just that he was having fun there i also saw a clip uh of him talking about like how i wanted to say goodbye to this character you know we wanted to do like one more and like sort of really dig into like what happens when like this person who you know was so youthful and had so much energy and that was like core of the character and now they're really old and they're at the end of their life um and how does that go blah 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 and how you know, great it was to work with all of the other actors and especially Phoebe Waller-Bridge and how James Mangold like wrote this great story about all these things. And of course he's selling the movie and of course he's not going to be there to be like, Ugh, I would, they gave me a lot of money. Like, you know, the stuff he would say on a late night talk show uh, about how he doesn't care. Um, although he's always cared about Indiana Jones more than he has about Han Solo. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it sounded very sincere and it sounded like, it, I definitely was like, I want to believe this version of what the movie is as opposed to what the critics said, uh, even though, you know, that, that's my heart. And even though in my mind, I'm like, the critics are probably more right because they didn't make the movie and they're not trying to sell the movie. Um, and even if they have their knives out and have like, are trying to be sn- snooty about the whole thing, you know, again, like they probably wanted to be snooty about Top Gun Maverick, but they were like, damn it, it's good uh, last year. And that's not what they said about this movie. So this might be the perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about next. And it's sort of like a new segment that we could potentially introduce. So for context, you know, PT and I are both university professors. That's our day job. 
And it seemed like sort of a waste that we were doing this podcast and not trying to apply our quote unquote expertise. Sorry, I'm putting that in quotes. <laughs> like our, alleged. our supposed alleged, alleged, <laughs> alleged expertise um, in, in writing and rhetoric and, and communication and stuff like that. And so I thought we could start test out a new segment where each episode we do some kind of check in. I had a bunch of names for this. So it's a wor- working titles include rhetoric roundup, mm-hmm. uh, the rhetorical situation or, or the rhetorical sitch. Mm. We can see if that sticks. Sure. Um, but, but PT, do you want to give just like a quick context about what, what do I mean when I say that? Oh, <laughs> like sure. This, I mean, and how could the how could that apply to what we're talking about? Uh, uh, I mean, wow. You 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 said it was alleged expertise, and but now I have to actually show um, that there's some expertise. Um, bold, but yeah. The, but the idea is, you know, we we work in the field of rhetoric and composition, sort of essay, argumentative writing, and the idea is just thinking about, you know, rhetoric is usually colloquially used as a negative of just sort of like, you know, obfuscation through words. Um, and that's what rhetoric is. But the sort of actual classical definition of it is more just the way you try to present your thoughts uh, and ideas out into the world to, uh, you know, to, to make arguments. And, uh, you know, that sounds maybe combative or whatever, uh, or, you know, inherently there's something kind of, oh, we're arguing, we're fighting, um, crosstalk, uh, whatever, uh, cable news shows. But it's, you know, everything, almost everything that's out there that's created that people do make some sort of an argument um, is, 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 is engaging in some sort of uh, rhetoric. Um, if nothing else, uh, you know, be, at least being like, well, this is something that's important versus, you know, this or maybe this thing is not important. Um, so, you know, movies uh, engage in rhetoric. The discussion of movies uh, engages with rhetoric. The the business of movies um, has uh, has all this rhetoric. So, yeah, I think the idea is that as we talk about uh, as we talk about uh, things that we like in the entertainment world, ways we react to things, and the how movies are. Uh, discussed and and awarded and and rewarded. Um, you know, what are the ways that we can think of them as uh, existing within a, a rhetorical framework? Because again, basically everything does in the world, uh, whether whether it's you know fully intentional or not. There's a rhetorical element to everything. And I, th- and I think in Indiana Jones, that was great. Thank you. Uh, the much better than I could have said. Uh, Indiana Jones. It's only because it's late and you're tired. That's not because you can't actually say it. You're just fading. This is this is your this is your prime. This is your prime. I know. I'm just waking up. Let's go. Yeah, (laughs) but I think I wanted to segue once when we were talking about Indiana Jones because I feel like the story, the news story of the react early reaction to it, is like rhetorically sticky because obviously. The, you know, we often tell our students that the intention that you have as a writer isn't what's necessarily going to be coming across, right? So obviously Disney, Lucasfilm, the creators behind Dial of Destiny, they had, we don't know what that is, but they had some kind of intention going into can. But then it's really interesting to see these early reactions and trying to interpret what, the, what they mean. Like what is, what rhetoric, like what is the rhetorical impact that this this is these reactions are now having Mm -hmm. and and i think we're kind of struggling with that because it's like on the one hand not good right because it's like 
critics didn't like it therefore the movie's bad like that's one into that's one kind of rhetorical analysis but then we can also think about well in the context of can it could mean a couple different things right so like you know it could be that these and i've heard other critics uh consider this as well that can is like the most hardcore critics are all gathering together and then you give them an Indiana Jones movie. Like is, is, are they, are we really setting, setting us up for success in doing that? Right. Even if it is, and, and you know, your counterpoint is Top Gun Maverick, obviously. And so, so, so that's playing into it too. That's providing additional context. That's complicating that challenging, like the people who are like, Oh, these are just critics, right? Like this, this doesn't mean anything. The movie could still be good. Um, what does good mean anyway? Mm -hmm. Right. It's a moving target. So, um, so there, so there's that. And then like what the other thing I thought was really interesting from a rhetorical perspective is the significance of the standing ovation because, and that's sort of the first thing I put on our, on our list in the Google doc was so, so can is, and we opened with jokes about this and then didn't explain them, uh, but can, (laughs) can, so apologies for that, everybody, but, but can is famous for these standing ovations that last multiple minutes. Um, and so what's interesting is that out of context, and I actually posted about this on Instagram when I saw this, I was like, Dial of Destiny got a five minute standing ovation. That sounds good, right? That sounds like people love this movie. Uh, but in fact, if you put it in the larger context of the history of standing ovations at Cannes, and we, we kind of like put that right. knowledge in there and that context, then it changes sort of the significance of five minute standing ovation. Um because it turns out like and, and 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 no one really knows i feel like what the actual if there, there's no metric of like if your standing ovation is over x number of minutes then your movie's good right like there's that's that's a maddening exercise mm-hmm. i think to try to figure that out but for some reason five minutes the five minutes for dial of destiny was just out a lot of people are saying that's just out of respect for harrison ford um <laughs> or just like to be nice um, that they came all this way and showed this movie <laughs> um, where whereas like whereas like some of the like Killers of the Flower Moon got a nine minute standing ovation mm-hmm. to us. Uh, it's know, four minutes better, person, Jen. I mean, it's only four minutes. We're not we're not we're not uh, math professors, to be clear. However, right. that is four minutes better. So but there's some time, kind of time dilation that happens because everyone's in use of that phrase that it got a well, well killers of the flower moon got a nine minute standing ovation. Therefore it is Mar- Martin Scorsese's greatest achievement. Right. Um, so like, what do you make of this? What do you make of the standing ovation factor? Have you thought about kind of like what the significance is? How can we kind of, fa- what, what, what does this provide in terms of the rhetoric of the movies? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, the for me, it, it's a core distinction between the people like us, the little people who are out in the world who just are like, I like movies and I want to follow movie news and the people who are in the rooms. So like if you're in the room, even if you were like, that was a piece of crap, um, but you're like, oh, but look, like Harrison Ford's here and James Mangold's here and Krista Flockhart is there sitting behind Harrison Ford. Like you're, you're, you're clapping and you're standing and you're clapping because you were like, I got to see your movie like here and now and I didn't like it but like I'm glad that you showed it to me so thank you um you know and and I'm sure there are people who are just like yes I loved it and and you know when we get to there is a list I don't know if we want to put this in like the show notes but you you put an indie wire list of the movies that got like 15 20 minute um Pan's Labyrinth 22 minute 
standing ovation. Um, That's the record, which is which is great. So I for, I, for the record, to go back to our opener, I said I would give you a twenty-three minute. I and look, I, I I love it, and I, I I'm glad. I'm uh, I will. Uh, I'd like to thank the Academy um, for uh, it was an it was an honor just having a one minute standing ovation. Um, so uh, so yeah, I think that there's maybe. Uh, you know, there's maybe something about being in the room. I also, and I couldn't find a, a source for this, which uh, which makes me think that when I read this, it was like a, a reply tweet or like a Reddit thread somewhere. But I do remember seeing something, some, something somewhere where a person was talking about, uh, so this is great. The sourcing is great. Getting Speaking about our students. Um, it was something somewhere by someone, uh, <laughs> parentheses, about uh, that like, a lot of these standing ovations at film festivals can and the others is really dependent upon how many people there are there who have worked on the movie and the decision of the camera operator for how slowly they pan across them. Cause what happens is the movie ends and then they project on the screen in the room, a, you know, the, a, a, a camera view of like the row of people that are there. So it would be like, it's Phoebe Waller-Bridge and people start clapping and it'd be like, and it's uh, uh, Sala. And I can't remember his real name. John Reese davies No, that's, he's younger. Um, I can't remember Sala's name. I'm very, I, I feel very bad about that. No, you're right. It is John Reese davies Who am I? Th- yes. Oh, great. Um, good. Then I'm, I'm great. Good job by me. Um, so, uh, you know, and so, and then and it's Harrison Ford, yeah, clap, 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 Harrison Ford, James, uh, 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 James Mangold, clap, clap, clap. John Williams. I don't know if John Williams was there, but like, you know, and so it, that like, it's somewhat dependent. Like there was, it was someone talking about being at a festival and being like, there was a movie that no one really liked, but there were like 18 people who were there who had been in the movie and you know, it was a big cast or there was a lot of, um, you know, like production people who were there and the person running the camera just like lingered and like moved really slowly between person and person. So it that added ma- you know, multiple minutes to the ovation. So, you know, there's some degree of that. And then also maybe some degree of just like you're in the, again, you're in the room, Harrison Ford's there, you know, he's Harrison Ford. You just saw, maybe you didn't see a, a Harrison Ford movie you particularly liked, but he's still Harrison Ford. So of course I'm going to clap for him. They also watched Shrinking and they were like, what a great job he did on Shrinking. And they're all clapping. Um, and so they clap for for a few minutes for him. So uh, yeah, I, I think that it's interesting um, as a sort of quirk of, you know, being in a room and being in uh, being at a festival. Um, but then I think the more interesting uh, uh, or I don't say more interesting, but the interesting rhetorical angle on it um, is how that information gets put out into the world and put out into, um, you know, sort of general movie discourse and particularly into fandoms, which, um, you know, is a whole other sort of added rhetorical context where Indiana Jones isn't like the most sort of like acute uh, and, and by extension toxic um, fandom community, but it's Lucasfilm. So there's Star Wars adjacent and Star Wars maybe is very acute and toxic. So, you know, there there's, I do feel like there's a latching on of sort of like, you know, there's, there's battles that are happening and there's sort of rhetorical stances that are, that are taken around the existence of one of the, that the main character in the movie, that's not Indiana Jones is a woman 
played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Like, there's a political battle around that. This is still a movie produced by Kathleen Kennedy, who's a woman, and there's people who just don't like her. And they have very valid complaints about the things she's made, the decisions she may have made. Um, but there's a, a bunch of other people who just do not like her, and it, it seems really rooted in the fact that she's a woman. So there's sort of rhetorical battles around, like, why do people, like, need to know that there's a five-minute observation and need to share that and need to put that out there and then need to debunk it and need to share the Metacritic score versus the Rotten Tomato score versus like, what did the crystal skull look like? You know what I mean? So there's all these, like, that's an element of it too. That's almost separate from talking about the movie. Um, it's, it's more proxy battles in this larger fandom um, skirmishes of a, of a culture war that uh, has been, you know, I, I, I would contend intentionally uh, uh, inserted into uh, a lot of these uh, nerd properties that, that exist. With my students, I often talk about discourse communities mm. and how you have to really figure out which one you're in when you're writing because you need to know sort of what the shared language or the shared values are and, and kind of like to, to help to help you get your point across. And I feel like that's very much at play here mm -hmm. because we have like like you were just describing the way that a fan community, right? And there are many of them, but like let's let's say the the most earnest and kind of like forthright fan community, <laughs> right? The way that they would even evaluate Dial of Destiny or any Indiana Jones movie for that matter, the way that they would kind of assess it and talk about it is way different than a bunch of international critics. Right. Gather together at like a really highfalutin film festival, right? Um, and so that's something that I think we have to take into account as well. That just like the values there are different, right? The things that people because because there are critics, not all of them, right? But many critics, no matter what a franchise film like an Indiana Jones film has a certain ceiling, right? Like it can even if it's the best of the best, right? Even if it's the Top Gun Maverick of Indiana Jones movies, it's still only going to be so good. It's not going to be high art right. in the way that a lot of the other movies that we started the show that the in competition movies, right, would, would be, they would, that they would consider to be high art, right? And so I think that like highbrow, lowbrow brow tension, kind of in the way that people talk, different groups of people talk about movies is very much at play with this. And I don't have a way around that. Mm -hmm. I don't think I think that's just something we're going to have to live with and kind of parse when, so when you're reading different people's reactions and reading reviews of the film, when it does finally come out for everybody, just keep keeping in mind who is giving that reaction and which community they are a part of. And what are, what are they, what are they tasked with? What's the criteria they're, they're tasked with using mm -hmm. to evaluate a film, right? Right. Whether that's an, it being tasked upon them externally or just their internal, right you know, checklist of what it is right. that they care about. Cause there's, you know, there will definitely be people. And again, I'm, I, I was saying with, with saying this with all due respect to, I have some very good friends who loved Ghostbusters afterlife. And I was like, it took me a long time to get around to seeing it. And when I saw it, I was like, I didn't like it. Not very good. And they were like, Oh, but like, what about, you know, this, 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 and this. And it was a lot of like, they referenced this little small thing from the original Ghostbusters movie. And I got that reference. Like that worked really well for me. And like, we've joked about that thing. Like, didn't, you know, why didn't you like that? Like, you know, why didn't you like the candy bar wrapper in the pocket? And I was like, cause I don't need that in a movie. Like, I, I don't care. Like, I don't know. Like, 
uh, that didn't that didn't work for me. And you know, it may be as simple. There may be people who are like, "This movie is great," and here's why. It's because you know, here's this, the, here's the, the eighteen references there are to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Here are the eight references there are to Temple of Doom. You know, and it's sort of this like Wikipedia checklist of what were things that happened or or parallels to you know whatever. Um, or or it's filling in the the Wikipedia entry on or the the indie Indiana Jones wiki entry on what his life was like in between the movies that we know. Um, um, and that may be really rewarding for them. That may be, re- may be really interesting. Um, you know, then again, it also may be like, oh, here's sort of a pat, boring, whatever, serial style adventure story that like, I don't know, I don't really care about that, according to some critics, and then I may be like, oh my God, I love this. Like Indiana Jones, he's riding a horse on a subway. This is great. Um, like, I don't know, that still looks great. Um, that looks like that could be really fun. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think that what Jen is saying is absolutely right. Think about... You know, and again, this is not because um, I, I feel like I've uh, talked, uh, you know, a lot with students recently where they sort of, they assume that like, if anyone has bias, it's bad. And that's, you know, you don't want to be biased, of course, but like, it's sort of grown to where it's like, if you have an opinion or a perspective or stance on something, you're, you have, you're a bias. Um, like, oh, that, that, then you are, you, you inhabit and exhibit and are biased. Um, and so therefore that's bad, but like, it's not bad. People like the things they like people, you know, like in, in the broader sense of, uh, of just having a, an opinion or a point of view, um, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, you know, it should not be biased against people, communities, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, it's okay to have a perspective and it's okay to think about what someone's perspective is and make a judgment about how relevant you think that is to your perspective, um, when, when taking in anyone's opinions, uh, including ours, uh, about, uh, about stuff. And then, you know, um, then decide whether you want to go and try it out for yourself. Do you want to go and see see this movie? And again, for something like an Indiana Jones movie, if you are thinking about seeing it, you're probably going to see it. Like I, I, I do wonder if there's like whole swaths of the of the population that are just sort of like I don't I don't know what that is or I don't care. Like because I'm under the age of 35 or 30, and these movies don't mean anything to me. Um, that's possible, um, but I would assume. You know, if you care about Indiana Jones, you probably want to go see it anyway. But, you know, it's also okay if you don't. I don't know. Yeah, the Slash Film podcast had that question of, like, how much money at the box. Because they were trying to predict the box office winners of the summer. And they were, like, how... They were they were uh, they were really in a deadlock about Dial of Destiny because some people were like, it's Indiana Jones. And then other people were like, it's Indiana Jones. <laughs> you have to be over a certain age to care about it. Right. So like, um, so that, that was, that was really, really fascinating to go back to what you're saying about bias. Um, and at the risk of this becoming too pedagogical, um, something that's really been helpful with me, with my students is distinguishing between subjectivity and bias. Mm. Because I think when people say, cause I, cause I think what they're, mis- they're the, the umbrella that most students, that at least I've had use for bias is too big. Yes. And what they really mean is like, because when they're like, oh, no one can have an opinion on anything. It's like, no, like everyone can have their own subjectivity and and have things in their life and their worldview that influence their opinions and their perspectives. But it's when that becomes sort of like actively harmful or kind of like pre- like prejudiced against other things, right? Then that's when it starts to become biased, like when it's, when the, the sort of fairness of it becomes questionable um 
So I try to use that as a way to explain, like, it's okay for everyone to have different takes on things. <laughs> like, in fact, that's good. Right. Um, so when we say don't be biased, we don't mean don't have an opinion. We don't mean don't be influenced by something about who you are and where you come from to have that opinion. It's just make sure that you kind of keep that balanced when you're th- and, and and be, you know, open to hearing what the other right. subjectivities and other opinions are. So um so in this case, I mean, that very much applies to the way we talk. People talk about movies, especially now. I feel like people get so antagonistic on the Internet about like, I hated this. This was terrible. And then everyone who thinks it's good is also terrible. Right. <laughs> right? So I think, you know, that's, there's, there's a lot. There's something there. For sure. Yeah. Everything is either the worst thing ever or the best thing yeah. ever. Um, yeah. It's uh it's 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 frustrating. It's annoying. Um, and you know, then you know, this is the last thing I'll say on it. There and there are also people that are just like I'm over. And this is more a critics thing. I'm over modern day blockbuster filmmaking. And a lot of times that means the sort of you know superhero, whether it's the sort of marvelization of uh, narrative and storytelling and uh, a, a sort of you know smoothing out of the of the filmmaking process um, in a, a sort of assembly line way, or the sort of dark, d- dingy Snyderverse uh, approach of the DC movies. Um, and then I think the sort of third element is the sort of trapped in amber nostalgia of like Star Wars, Jurassic World, things like that, where it's just trying to like, remember these movies you used to love? What if we did them again? And they were just slightly different. Um, wouldn't that make you happy? Um, what if Michael Keaton were Batman again? Wouldn't that make you happy? Um, and it might. It would. It might. Um, it but would. Uh, so, I, so I think that there is, uh, you know, it, it, of all the miscalculations and, and again, of all the sort of lack of awareness perhaps of the rhetorical situation in, in the choice of bringing dial of destiny to can is maybe undervaluing that the, 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 the elements of the movie that maybe Lucasfilm and Disney thought were like really going to hit and we're going to resonate um, were uh, exactly the elements that were going to turn a bunch of critics off uh, and right. would be like, so the strengths are, it's like the weaknesses, maybe they know there are weaknesses, but they were like, well, it has all these strengths and the strengths are also weaknesses to, uh, to the people who were going to be reviewing it, um, which is interesting. Cause I, I don't, I think for, you know, what, again, I don't know how many, there are complaints that, that I've seen them about Top Gun Maverick, but I don't think that like it being trapped in some sort of like nostalgia quicksand uh, is one of them where there's obviously like references to the other movie, but like, I think plenty of people felt like I could go and see um, Top Gun Maverick and not think about or have ever even seen the original movie. Um, whereas, like you said earlier, anytime it's sort of like, well, this is the fifth movie. Um, and it's like, you know, and, and I mean, in all due respect to Top Gun, I kind of feel like Indiana Jones is, was bigger than Top Gun. Like it was oh, yeah, more it was. pervasive. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so maybe that it's like just even the people who are like, I don't care about Indiana Jones could recognize like, oh, that's a reference to one of the other movies. I hate references to other movies, like minus five points in their mind uh, or however they, they grade a movie. So yeah, again, like you were saying, rhetorical situations, re- being aware of what people are thinking about and what they're going to value um, maybe, maybe is what led to the mistake of bringing this movie to this context or this situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating because it's, yeah, like that was a really good way to say it, that like the very things that they probably were banking on strengths were they they misread the the 
their audience uh and yeah it's yeah it's so interesting because I've, I've definitely heard the argument that like they from a pr perspective going to can is is glamorous enough and like you said prestigious enough that just doing that like there's a logic that just doing that regardless of what the reaction was would have been worth mm-hmm. it but now we're seeing that like maybe that was not the case now um, it, it, is it sort of misjudged. is it like five dimensional chess where they're like well we know that it's maybe it's only like you know a b or a b minus and we want to get that word out early that maybe like it's actually like a c minus so then when it comes out and people are like oh this isn't that oh. bad they're like they feel better about it and they're just like oh okay um I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think. I don't think anyone in Hollywood works at that level uh, of of uh, forethought and planning. Right. Um, so I just assume that every every boardroom uh, decision is essentially like uh, something out of either Succession or Veep or somewhere in between, where they're just like bumbling their way to uh, trying to figure out what to do. But you know, that's the other potential thing is it's like, is this, is this a massive expectation lower? Like, is that, is that ultimately a good thing? And I'm speaking mostly for me. Is it a good thing for me to spend the next, whatever it is, six, seven weeks being like, I guess this movie isn't that going to be that good. And then if it's like, kind of good i will feel much better than if i went in being like mm-hmm. this movie could be great it's only kind of good a lesson in expectation management yes. is the takeaway here um all right so i want to do i would do want to move towards wrapping up because we once again said this was going to be a short episode no, and we and failed we're, at the we're not we're not going to um, watch ted lasso tonight not fun <laughs> um but i want to we we have been actually pretty good about talking about the oscars prospects of a lot of these films along the way but was there anything that we haven't talked about yet in terms of like something coming out of can that indicates that it's now in the oscars conversation well what i want to do perhaps uh unsurprisingly and i saved it for now in case this ends up all being too much too long and it it could be cut easily from here but i did look at like some history stuff of like how things have unfolded and you know i I guess i always sort of think about like well like can and like the palm door as like you know, especially, but even like any of the awards, uh, the top awards at Cannes, uh, as being you know, a, a, a big sort of signifier and a big boost, it's there's not a lot of correlation uh, historically. Um, there have only been two times that a film won the Palme d'Or and also won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Um, The one time was uh, in 1955, the first year the Palme d'Or was awarded. It used to be just the Grand Prix uh, was was the award, uh, and then they changed it to the Palme d'Or. And it was the movie Marty, uh, which, oh, now I feel really bad that I don't, I think it's Ernest Borgnine. Am I making that sounds up uh i am not it's ernest borgnine um you know supposed to be a real kind of you know good romantic drama of a uh a lonely man and his like i've seen that movie uh at finding things well it it won the palm d'or and it won best picture it was great i i I didn't it didn't register right away when you said the title but now 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 that i'm piecing together ernest borgnine (laughs) in the the premise i remember watching this now (laughs) it has i mean it does have the problem of being kind of a generic name um is it black and white yeah it was it was in black and white um and uh who directed it of course i closed it uh as soon as uh, uh oh uh, delbert man of course um but an early screenplay by uh patty chayefsky uh who went on to be 
a powerhouse of uh, uh, you know wrote um, uh, uh, the hospital wrote network um, and uh, I feel like a bunch of other movies that I can't recall. So that's really the, the only head. other one that's gone on to win. Um, P- Marty and then Parasite uh, a few years ago were the oh, only right. were the only two. So Parasite was a big sort of shift. And so there's there was talk. I was looking at uh, a Hollywood Reporter article that was talking about like all these nominations um, in the last few years have been coming out of Cannes. But in the list that they had, a lot of those were movies that were out of competition. Once Upon a Time in mm. Hollywood, Elvis. Um, and, uh, uh, I keep changing my thing around, so it's not, uh, uh, not helping here, but, um, you know, there have, oh, Top Gun Maverick, uh, also got things, um, uh, but there, there are some that have kind of moved over, drive my car, um, didn't win, but was in competition. Uh, so, uh, you know, there have been movies that are in competition, but there's only a few that really moved into, uh, get, even nominated for a bunch of awards, uh, let alone let alone win. So last year there was Triangle of Sadness, uh, ended up as as you probably know with picture, director, and original screenplay. Um, that, that, these are the Palme d'Or winners. Parasite, again, big one, wins picture, director, original screenplay, international feature, um, with a few other nominations. Um, the movie, um, the Michael Haneke movie, Amore. Um, uh, one foreign language film also got picture director, actress, screenplay, the Terrence Malick movie, Tree of Life, uh, picture director and cinematography. Uh, and then for better or for worse, uh, a Palme d'Or winner, The Pianist, uh, won uh, best director, probably unfortunately, um, a, a black mark uh, for on a lot of people, including Harrison Ford, uh, who was involved in the awarding that. Um, actor. Um, with mild uh, sexual assault on stage, um, or at least questions of consent, um, and adapted screenplay, um, and also got nominated for picture, cinematography, costume design. So I mean, that's you know, like uh, not nothing, but I mean, that's only five movies in the last twenty-two years that actually kind of broke through. Only one of which got Best Picture. It's really more, um, or not more, but you know, it. it, it there, there's a lot of strength in the in that international or what used to be foreign language um, or foreign film uh, category that does have, you know, there, there is sort of more of a pipeline between mm-hmm. um, the Palme d'Or um, and the the other top awards, Grand Prix and uh, Jury Prize, you can find. But the question then becomes, is Parasite and Triangle of Sadness starting to form a new pattern or precedent you know what i mean like is is that gonna be the yeah it's possible and you know and you know if you if you look at um the uh director um that that also uh i mean i guess the, the, there were some in the 2000s that, that translate over one of them was david lynch that's a little like okay sure like that's not that feels like a weird a weird uh win for the for can not a weird nomination for the academy um but you had um and i again i apologize for not looking deeper into pronunciations but um pavel uh polakowski uh, who directed cold war um, mm-hmm. uh, a movie I didn't see, but I did love Ida, his previous movie. Um, uh, so he, that sort of was like a lone director nomination after he got best director, uh, at, um, at, at con. And so, mm-hmm. you know, is it possible then maybe like that sort of push for, and again, like drive my car didn't, I don't think didn't win any of these, um, awards, uh, in, 
uh, you know, in, in the competition, but was was at, at Con was a sort of got a lot of buzz coming out of Con. That got screenplay, that got director, that got picture. Um, so there might be that sort of again, there, there, the, the 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 push to diversify the academy and the push to sort of be more open uh, seems to have uh, not not to say that this is a good thing if it's tokenism, um, but has has certainly led to the outcome of there seeming to be okay. We got to put a slot or two. We got to make sure to position uh, some international films. You know, is that going to lead to your your zone of interest or? Um, I keep saying the name anatomy of a fall um, in a fall. good position for, you know, getting some aspect of picture director screenplay. Yeah. And I would say that the trend of there's one slot in best director reserved for an internet quote unquote international. Cause I think it's been kind of different every year mm-hmm. how we're interpreting that, but in international director, or not not American director, I guess maybe is the better way to put it, um, has definitely been a noticeable trend to the point where I think my big win when I was predicting nominations last year was at the last minute, and I have to give credit to uh, Josh Parham at Next Best Picture because I think he's the one who kind of like pushed me into doing this. Like I had thought about it, but then, then listening to him talk about it made me actually do it, and then I was right, where... <laughs> where Ruben Oslin is the one who kind of like was the head scratcher mm-hmm. director that snuck into the best director where people were like, wait, what? Like, and then triangle of sadness also made it, making it into best picture. Um, and, and so, so I feel like trying to figure out who there's definitely going to be a slot for an international director and film of some kind. Mm-hmm. But then the question is, which one is and is one that we've talked about today going to be the one? So that's really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, again, it will sort of be like what catches on. But I mean, you know, there's Anatomy of a Fall director is a woman, Justine Triette. Um, and that could be like, oh, yeah, we should nominate a woman because uh, uh, we're not good at doing that. Um, us in the Academy. But then it's also like, oh, will the international person be like, a white French person, or should we think somewhere else? Um, so again, you know, I don't know. It, it, you know, it's a big, it's a large body uh, making these decisions. It's not always that sort of mechanical uh, or checklist base. Um, but I think that you know, there's there may be a little bit more, you know, uh, energy coming for um, for some of these movies. I think you know, maybe particularly zone of interest uh, if uh, you know that it has this sort of. Uh, the, the, this chip it can it can show of like oh like approved by by can and that puts me in this conversation with you know parasite uh, with triangle of sadness um, and of course Marty which is on everyone the top of everyone's uh, uh, list um, so but that could be interesting the in terms of just like uh, uh, you know buzz and and chatter um, it, it feels like the the big uh, you know, apart from uh, you know Sandra Hewler, like you were like you were saying, smart people have her on their uh, on their list now because of uh, all the you know two great performances and like being uh, you know being so prominent uh, coming out of Cannes. But it's uh, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore from May December as like um, it presumably a lead in supporting, maybe both leads. Like again, you you know that that we start getting into category fraud um, discussions, um, but then there is. Uh, also, the the husband Julianne Moore's husband uh, 
in the movie. Oh, the guy from Riverdale. Who is a guy from Riverdale? Is that Charles Melton? Um, That's right. I'm looking. I'm looking briefly at the Google results here. Yes, it must be Joe Yu. Um, Charles Melton. People are like that. He he hangs in. Like he's there. He's he's right there with the two of them. And obviously, their powerhouses. Julianne Moore is a. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Todd Haynes veteran, um, and uh, you know, N- Natalie Portman has just been leaning more and more into the bizarreness of characters that she's been uh, choosing and portraying. And so they're really like sort of working at a very sort of high satirical level. And the guy from Riverdale is just, you know, he's there, like he's 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 playing the game with them so that he also is, I think, got some buzz for potentially a supporting actor nomination. Uh, how about you? What, 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 is there anything else you'd want to mention that we haven't touched upon? I think we covered it. I mean, it, since you mentioned all a bunch of actors, I would say Lily Gladstone is, you know, not quite as confident as everyone has to have her on the list now, but she's absolutely in the conversation. And so it'd be interesting to see. And it's the other interesting thing is that we're very early in film festival mm-hmm. season, right? We've got through the fall. Uh, pretty much like through September, October. And so a lot can happen because I think oftentimes these early prognostications fall away once newer players and kind of newer films that are in the conversation hit the scene. And so, yeah, which of these, all the, all the movies and all the actors that we just mentioned, which of those will, will continue to stay in the conversation as more and more stuff gets added is interesting. Uh, I've, I feel like May, December is the one that's probably going to be quick, most quickly fall off the list just because again, the nature of the film, you know, we spent a good five to 10 minutes like explaining what it was <laughs> and how it like seemed like one thing, but actually was another. Right. I feel like that could, that could be, be a problem for Oscar voters potentially later on. Uh, and so I think that's an easy one that we could be talking about now and could still very much be a part of the conversation, but would would hit the chopping block the soonest yeah um whereas whereas killers of flower moon that doesn't come out until october right right and so that's got a between now and then there's a long time for people to be getting excited and 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 talking like hearing about and talking about and anticipating that movie and then that's that's hitting you know if we go by the old-fashioned model of oscar campaigning October, November, that's the prime time you want your movie to be coming out to be part of the Oscar conversation. That's, you know, everything everywhere all at once sort of threw that into chaos. So now people are like, oh, movies can come out a year earlier and people and still stay in the Oscars race uh, for a whole year, basically. And so so that but if we're going by the older, more traditional model of movies that come out in the fall leading up to the big Christmas Day release those that's the window of movies that are in oscars contention you know kills of the flower moon is a classic yeah uh i i Pro- sorry i i yeah i think no, that- no i just couldn't think of a word i was like classic what <laughs> it's a, uh, i thought you were just gonna say it's a classic it's just a classic yeah um it's an instant classic. instant classic a pre pre-classic we don't even have to see it yet um i i i think that that you know having said Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore have all this hype coming out of out of Cannes. I think that you're right. Both, um, I think both May December and Zone of Interest have that logline problem of sounds rough, may you know, not necessarily appealing uh, unless it gets a lot of like real strong critic push and real strong positive buzz. Um, it's right. going to be hard. It, it can have two paths. It could have the drive my car path mm-hmm. of critics just choose it as the movie that they want to throw their weight behind. And then that pushes it across the line. That's what happened with Drive My Car. Mm-hmm. Or it could have the coda effect of 
at some point when people are seeing this on Netflix, mm-hmm. right? And since it's the next Netflix movie, it doesn't have the potential for that because, like, oftentimes movies fall out of the Oscar conversation and then have a second life once they hit streaming mm-hmm. and a bunch more people see them. Um, so it could have the coda root of like having like a almost like a grassroots, very organic word of mouth, sort of like, hey, this movie, uh, did you see this movie on Netflix? It was great. And then that kind of builds more momentum. So I could, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. Th- that does bring me to the last thing I wanted to, to just note or sort of like put on our radar, um, which is- It's like I set this up. You did, I know. Um, it's, the, uh, it, it, it's the Netflix question of like, like, what is Netflix going to do this year? Uh, they have, uh, you know, it's it's been very, very interesting for people who've been sort of watching, paying attention to you know, award stuff and uh, and also just the general sort of streaming wars. Writers Guild strike still going on, solidarity with the writers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but one of the things that Netflix has been doing for a few years now is trying to win an Oscar and just pummeling a bunch of money into uh, these, uh, uh, you know, auteur-driven uh, uh, productions and also you know, buying movies that are in um, film festivals um, to then be like movies that they put out for Oscar plays. So, you know, Roma was uh, a big one for them. The Irishman uh, was, uh, was was another one for from another year. Um, well, they have, you know, between uh, what they were producing and also what they have acquired, um, they have this like massive slate like they have a like looks like two and a half studios worth of potential players uh this year um they have the new fincher movie uh the killer uh they have bradley cooper's uh second movie maestro uh about uh uh, elmer bernstein they acquired may december uh from uh from can uh they have a movie uh called rustin about uh an openly gay black advisor to martin luther king it's like a biopic they have another biopic um uh about uh shirley uh, chisholm the first um black congresswoman and the first black woman to run for president uh starring regina king um that's been sort of cooking for uh for a little while um and then some other movies that like you would think like, oh, this could be this could be something. There's a movie called uh, Nyad, which is a biopic about a swimmer with Annette Bening, and there's sort of early talk of like, well, this is the time Annette Bening will finally get uh, her Oscar. There's the the potentially the second Wes Anderson movie of the year, uh, which is an animated uh, adaptation of the Wonderful World of Henry Sugar, um, and then there's also the Sundance movie Fair Play, um, which I didn't like but people did uh other people did and they thought like this could have some acting or maybe even a screenplay um so this is a lot of movies and historically you know studios kind of need to choose one or two to focus on to really push to be like this is the movie and this is the one that we want you to pay attention to um and you know maybe a few years ago it'd be like well netflix they just like They've got money everywhere. They're Scrooge McDuck. They're swimming in the uh, in the sea of gold. So who cares? Um, but given the you know uh, the, the the value the, the evolution of things and also um, that there is some degree at least rumblings that Netflix is like okay like we're not winning so maybe we want to cut this short. You know it doesn't seem likely they're going to push like huge promo campaigns for all of these or even like the top five of uh, of these movies so you know something like may december where it's like yeah this could be the like you know people stumble upon it but like 
come October, November, December, is this even on the like front page of Netflix or do they have boom, like Bradley Cooper, Maestro, um, or, um, you know, Rustin, you know, this historical movie or Michael Fassbender in David Fincher's The Killer. Like, are they, what are they going to push and what are they going to try to get in front of people? Um, and what are they going to, you know, really, really focus, um, focus their attention on? Um, you know, part of that's going to be dependent on how good these movies are. There's been some low rumblings out there that maybe, Maestro isn't very good, and that's why they're like acquiring more movies and maybe moving up some movies that could have waited till next year. Um, I don't know if that's true or if that's speculation, um, but you know, I don't think that's based on anything besides just the sequence of events. I don't know if there's ever actually rumblings from anyone who knows anything about the movie, um, but. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, and it's going to be interesting to see if there's uh, you know a a movie that. Um, uh, some people really like, or even a movie that like we really like uh, here uh, here on the show that ends up just sort of like relegated to the you got to search for it to find it on Netflix, and you know three years from now it becomes the this had Oscar buzz like what the hell like how come no one gave any awards to Rustin? It's one of the best movies of the last decade. Um, you know, it's because another movie got uh, got all the all the money and all the support from the from the studio. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they've had this problem in the past of just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks, mm-hmm. and then and then they they they're splitting because I feel like whatever year was Marriage Story, mm-hmm. and I can't remember what else because everything is a blur now. <laughs> all all Oscar years are blurring together, but I feel like there was a year where it was Marriage Story, and then it was maybe it was May. it was the Irishman. Oh, the Irishman. Yeah, I knew it was one of those two. Um, so, and people had the, were asking the same, and that was only two films, and people were asking the same question. Mm-hmm. But they were like, and, and it seemed like they were just trying to push push both just to see what would pan out, and then they would kind of drop off, and you know. Whereas, you know, last year, so so essentially with campaigning, it seems like Netflix doesn't know what it's doing because <laughs> last year they were throwing their weight behind. I don't even remember what. Well, and then I want to say first Adam- it was blonde and the, the, going into it, it was blonde and white noise felt like oh, that's right. these are the two movies that are going to be the movies. And then it was like, wait, no one likes blonde or white noise. So we got to shift to glass onion. And then they eventually landed on all quiet in the Western front, which won a bunch right, of which awards. Sort of fell in their lap yeah. to be honest. Cause I think if you listen to critics talking about sort of like, the critic or i should say journalists and critics who are kind of tapped into the industry and and had to like talk to people at netflix or something because i feel like i listened to a bunch of that where they were like oh they didn't even think this was an awards player but then once it started gaining much a lot of popularity then they started to be like oh let's let's push it Mm -hmm. let's 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 take this the whole way um so so yeah i don't know yeah i don't know and i think part of it is they keep pushing movies that on paper seem like oscar bait right and it, it seems like i feel bad for them in some ways because it seems like every year they're like is this oscar bait is this what you want mm-hmm. and then somehow it doesn't win you know what i mean like so i feel like the irishman was really was probably the worst case with that where it's like it's a martin scorsese film it's got all it's got you know all these amazing actors that everyone loves right it's so long it's like you know it's like um it, it's it's it, it and yeah and and their whole approach has been like let's let let's pay these auteurs a ton of money to make the dream movie that they want and that large which in theory should work right 
and hasn't. No. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have. I don't have good advice for Netflix. <laughs> well, it, there's also not that I would give that for free. Right. right. Like, you know. um, yeah, Netflix. If you do want to spend more of your money, um, <laughs> we're we're happy to no longer be professors. If you want to instead give us money, um, but I, I, there's also rumors. Well, well, first first they should pay their writers. Correct. Yeah, start That's, with start yeah. with the writers. Then after that, then they can right. pay us. Um, call us writers and then pay us really well as well. Um, but there's also you know speculation assumptions. Uh, uh, you know that people, the voters, Academy voters, are just sort of like Netflix is bad for the movies. Like you know they're, they're they stream whatever, but like you know they've awarded Apple, um, Amazon. I don't know if Amazon's gotten a best picture, but it's gotten a lot of. You know, Amazon movies. Uh, Manchester, Manchester by the Sea. But it didn't win Best Picture. It won We're, screenplay oh, and it win. won okay. uh, it uh, actor. It's won awards. Like, and I mean, Netflix has won awards too. But that, like, particularly Netflix as the streaming behemoth, people are like, I won't vote for a Netflix movie for Best Picture the just Netflix so they don't get. It. Yeah, just so they won't get. It. Netflix is biased, um, and so I won't vote for them. Um, and you know, I, I don't. You know, that was Roma. Was the it felt like the big test of that and. It didn't win. Uh, so, you know, there's, um, you know, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I don't know if there is advice, um, which even if we had it, we wouldn't give it. Um, but I just think there is something interesting about, you know, they've got a lot of, um, you know, uh, things to throw against the wall this year. It'll be interesting to see what sticks and if anything, you know, doesn't stick, but then later it's like, why wasn't that so sticky? They should have been so so sticky. Um, because people people like it. But, you know, it does feel like only two, maybe three of those movies is gonna have a deep run of nominations. And, you know, at this point it's interesting to see what they will be out of the six or seven uh, at the top of the list. This is making me realize that there's actually a really good podcast that focuses only on Netflix. And it's called the Nomcast because it's Netflix original movies. Okay. Uh, and I, I just made this this conversation just made me realize that I haven't listened to it in a really long time, and I don't know if that's because there are not have not been recent episodes, or mm. so now I'm gonna have now I'm in a crisis where I'm like, what happened to the Nomcast? <laughs> I mean, uh, I hope they're okay. They're, def- Netflix is still <laughs> they were really good. Netflix is still definitely releasing original movies all the time, right? And then they disappear after like three days from the front page, and I never think about them again. Whatever Gal Gadot. Uh, Chris Evans, Red Ryan Notice, Reynolds right? uh, project that exists. Oh, there's a Red Notice, Gray Men. There's an, another Gal Gadot like spy thriller that's coming out in like August oh. that I've already I've already forgotten. Like it, it's already come out and I've already forgotten it exists. The other thing to keep in mind is that Apple to go back to Killers of the Flower Moon, mm-hmm. and then we should really wrap up. <laughs> but uh, the Killers of the Flower Moon with Apple, it's a, it's a co-production between Apple and Paramount. Yes, right, uh, and. They're playing the game of we are technically a streamer that's like so this movie is going to be on Apple TV plus exclusively at some point, Mm -hmm. but they're doing a real theatrical run first. Right. And so that's some I think that's that's to me, that seems to be a factor where in in terms of the industry resentment that you were talking about, because I think Netflix has refused to do that. Like they have technically put movies in theaters, but just enough so they can qualify for awards. And I think they bought because they bought the Egyptian in Los Angeles and they bought the Paris theater in New York. And it sort of felt like they bought them just to show Netflix movies to qualify for awards. Um, and they, so they could be there like, we'll do this, but only in our own theaters. Um, and the Netflix movies that have gone to theaters, I don't know if there's more, but I know that 
you know, like they put all quiet in the theaters, but I think that was to try to, at least here in LA was like, go see this movie. It's nominated for all these awards. Um, you know, if you can vote for the awards, like, why don't you vote for us? Um, and then Glass Onion was in the theater. That's because Ryan Johnson, like, demanded it. And he's like, you have to put it in the theater for a week. And then it was in the theater for a week. It made a bunch of money. The theaters, the filmmakers were like, great, let's just keep it going. And Netflix was like, no, like, we're, that's all we said we would do. We're done. And they pulled it. And, you know, yeah, I do think that hardline stance of we are a streamer and we stream uh, is is a real sticking point. Uh, as opposed to Amazon, Apple, uh, which do right. like, which do play the theatrical game. Um, and again, it brings up bit. this question of like, who is the, actually their audience? Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that there are multiple audiences is what's complicating the way that they go about things in the narrative they're crafting for themselves. Because if the audience is literally the people watching the Netflix movies, I think their approach makes sense. Right. If their audience is the industry. And all the other studios and all the other actors and the guilds and all you know, like everyone who's participating in the industry, then maybe they're not really considering their audience enough. Yeah. You know, to what yeah, you know, what exactly are their goals? Are their goals just to sort of have this library as it exists? Um, and obviously they want to make money, so they want to have subscribers. But if their goal really is we want to get these awards, it's like, why are you being so intransigent about Right. Um, these these choices. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. We made it to two hours when we said once again this would be a short episode. We did. Uh, we did, but it was a great conversation. I think we really unpacked Can, made it a little bit more user friendly, kind of gave the highlights. So and then some, <laughs> and then a lot, a lot some <laughs> highlights, um, mid lights, pe- some low lights. Yes. Yeah, all the lights, all the lights. Um, so, PT, where where can folks find you if they want to know even more about Ken? <laughs> or Netflix? I mean, that's it, it, it's hard to find me, and it's a mistake to ask me more questions, considering I've already said more than what I know about uh, about Ken in this episode. But they can find me on uh, on Instagram and on Letterboxd at PT McNiff, PT MCNIFF. And you can find me at Subchakchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I, on Instagram and Qui-Gon Jen on Letterboxd. Thanks, BDT. We did it. Thanks, Jen. We did do it. Thank you for listening. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel. 